Well, here we are in the most wonderful time of the year. The glow of newly strung lights fills our streets. The sounds of carolers are in the crisp, chilly air. It's Christmas time. And every year as the season ramps up and I transition to the holiday music, there always seems to be a line from one of the traditional hymns that moves me to worship. One year, I remember it was God and Sinners Reconciled from Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Another year, it was In His Name, All Oppression Shall Cease from O Holy Night that especially gripped me. But more recently, there's a line from one of the less familiar Christmas songs, God Rest You Merry Gentlemen, that has provoked my praise. It goes, Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. Now, there's a reason why I'm a preacher and not a singer, okay? So I'll stop and spare you right there. But what is significant to me about that line is that it portrays the often overlooked meaning of Christmas. You see, most never consider that Christmas has anything to do with overcoming the enemy and all of his works. Yet, that's precisely what John declared was the mission of Jesus' arrival to earth. Take a look. In 1 John 3, 8, he says, but the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. Yes, as we're about to explore, the original Christmas is the inauguration of Jesus' entry into this world to transfer us from the dominion of darkness and into God's marvelous light. Let's begin on the same page about the world into which Jesus was born. It was a world under the influence of the devil. You can read all about how it happened in Genesis 3, but in short, Satan deceived the first couple with a promise of knowledge of good and evil. When Adam and Eve took his bait and succumbed to the temptation, they effectively handed over to the devil the dominion that God had originally given them over all created things. With this, creation was fallen and death entered the world for the very first time and with it all of its counterparts, disease and suffering and sickness and all the things that we hate most and protest most about life. The only way to restore something from death is to cover it with perfect life. The Bible says that the life of the flesh is in the blood. God eventually instituted something called a law of atonement by which the sins of his people would be covered by the blood sacrifice of a pure, spotless, defectless lamb. Certainly, a fallen creation wasn't God's original intention. And animal sacrifice was only meant as a temporary solution to point to what would later come. The plan of redemption set from the very beginning. The plan that Peter spoke of in 1 Peter 1, 19 through 20. It says, like a sinless, spotless lamb, God chose Jesus as your ransom long before the world began. Yes, before creation, God had a plan in place that his son Jesus would become the final once for all sacrificed lamb of God. As the lamb who was slain, Jesus would take away the sins of the world, thereby destroying the works of the devil. In doing so, he would demolish the power of sin and its consequence. The first Christmas marks the moment when this word became flesh. Now, let's look into the Christmas story as told by Luke 
and unwrap its details to see how everything about Jesus' birth fascinatingly points to this purpose. It begins in Luke chapter 2. At that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. Bethlehem, previously known as the city where David was from and where he would later be crowned king of Israel. It's only six miles south of Jerusalem where Jesus would later be crucified. Because of a prophecy foretold by Micah for some 700 years, God's people looked to this little town of Bethlehem as the birthplace of their long-awaited Messiah. We read of this prophecy in Micah 5.2. God spoke through Micah, but you, O Bethlehem, are only a small village among all the people of Judah. Yet a ruler of Israel whose origins are in the distant past will come from you on my behalf. The Bible assures that God orders the steps of his people. And there's perhaps no greater example of this promise than how Mary and Joseph are led to the place that was foretold. You see, Joseph is a descendant of the royal line of King David. So when the census was ordered, Joseph was required to leave his current residence in Nazareth to take the several day journey, the place of his lineage, Bethlehem. And the story is sure to note that Mary goes with him, surely not out of choice or comfort for a woman in her condition, but likely out of obligation to report as the new wife of Joseph. Think about the precise timing of these events. Just a little while longer in Nazareth and the prophecy of the Messiah's birth in Bethlehem would have failed. Yet by no planning on Mary's part, much less any intention on the part of the emperor to fulfill any prophecy, Mary and Joseph find themselves in Bethlehem. And at that nick of time, she goes into labor and her baby is born. Isn't that how the plans of God are often revealed and fulfilled in our lives too. More often than not, it seems, it's the inconveniences of life, the frustrating circumstances and the difficulties and the people that wander across our paths at some of the strangest moments that maybe in the present don't always make sense. But when we see them in hindsight, they were used like a divine hand to lead us right where we need to be. And Bethlehem was the place where Mary and Joseph needed to be right at the right moment. But not just because it happened to be the place of Joseph's lineage. No, Bethlehem was strategically selected by God long before to be part of the plan. You see, as only God could know, events were orchestrated throughout the centuries so that by the time of Jesus' birth, Bethlehem was the place where lambs purchased for sacrifice in the temple were born and raised without coincidence, so was the Lamb of God. But there's so much more. Let's continue on with the story.
And while they were in Bethlehem, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. As we've already seen, while in Bethlehem, Mary goes into labor. And because of the census, people were flocking into the region. There was no room for them in the inn. This left Mary and Joseph with yet another dilemma. Where to deliver this baby? As we know, labor doesn't really leave much room to find alternative options. It kind of happens where it happens. And so Mary and Joseph were forced to settle with less than optimal accommodations. Some say they found a cave. Others contend it was the first floor of the inn, which would have served as a nighttime shelter for the animals of the families that stayed there. Whatever the case, Jesus didn't enter this world with the fanfare and fixings fit for a king. No, he entered a world filled with hustle and bustle that basically said, move along, don't show up here, we have no room for you. Still today, the hustle and bustle hasn't changed. Maybe it's only gotten worse. Sure, it's not from censuses, but from fast-paced business transactions and always-on technology, the 24-7 news cycle. Today, we live at a time still where the world says to Jesus, don't show up here. We have no room for you. Don't interfere with our affairs. Perhaps more inconvenient than a pregnant woman traveling 80 miles for a census was delivering a baby among dirty, stinky animals. Now, if you were born in a city, you might not be familiar with such conditions, but those of us raised in small towns and farming communities know the realities. My grandparents owned a dairy farm in southeast Missouri. It was sold when I was young, so I don't remember much. But there is one vivid memory I do have, and that was the smell. At times it was foul, a mixture of cattle, sheep, pigs, and every animal in between. It certainly wouldn't be a place I would pick for a baby to be born, much less the most important one. But God did. And as the story goes, after Jesus' birth, Mary and Joseph lay the baby in a manger. Now, this manger wasn't the wooden crib that we often see depicted in our modern nativity scenes. No manger in the original Greek is fonte, which is a feeding trough for animals. Imagine that. The son of the Most High God, who Luke just a chapter earlier described as destined to sit on the throne of his ancestor David, is born in the lowliest of places, inside of a feeding trough and wrapped in mere strips of cloth, as rough as an environment like that was. Yet again, God used an inconvenience to reveal the destiny of his son. You see, a manger, a feeding trough, is a suitable place for a lamb. Fittingly then, it's where the Lamb of God spent his first few days. But let's continue on, because there's one more crucial aspect of the story that unwraps the real meaning of Christmas. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. 
They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. A region known for raising lambs should also be known for shepherds. And Bethlehem was no exception. Every year as autumn turned to winter, it became lambing season in the area, which was the time when lambs were born. And at this time, shepherds added to their full-time duties of protecting the flock from danger to tending the birth of these infant lambs, taking extra care to ensure that they were born without defect and protected from injury while on their night watch, perhaps awaiting the arrival of another newborn lamb. The glory of God broke in and his light lit up the sky with a dazzling light. The shepherds were predictably and understandably scared. But the angel of the Lord, with a message of all messages, brought them peace and said, I bring you good news for all people. Now these Jewish shepherds probably couldn't understand the full significance of this. But the angel was hearkening back to God's original covenant with the father of the faith, Abraham, that through him, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And indeed, this blessing was now born in Bethlehem. And these shepherds would find this blessing in a familiar place for them, lying among the animals. It was as if God was telling these shepherds that out of a long night, their long-awaited sacrificial lamb was born. Now go quickly and do what you were destined to do and go inspect my lamb and you will see that he is indeed pure, spotless, without defect, that he is the Lamb of God. And suddenly, the angel of the Lord was joined by a vast host of others, the army of heaven praising God and saying, glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to whom he is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in the manger. What an amazing story, as only God can do. Out of inconvenience and difficulty and dilemma, Mary and Joseph are led to Bethlehem, the place where at the time of Jesus' birth, lambs were born and raised to later be taken to Jerusalem for the atonement for the sins of God's people. And while they're there, Mary goes into labor. But because of the census, crowds of people were coming into the region and there was no room for them in the inns. So Mary and Joseph are left to deliver the baby among animals, where he spent the first few of his days lying in a feeding trough, hardly a situation suitable for royalty, but definitely a prophetic one for he who came as a suffering servant. 
And at that moment, shepherds were in their fields by night in the season of the birthing of lambs, when an angel of the Lord appeared with instructions to go and tend to the greatest birth of their careers, the sinless, spotless, defectless Lamb of God. Certainly, these events were of no coincidence, but the Christmas story details events that were ordered long before by God for the plan of all plans. This is the plan that Paul wrote to, to the Philippians. In Philippians 2, 6 through 8, he says, Though Jesus was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Yes, some 2,000 years ago, just before the first Christmas, God looked down on his once perfect, now fallen creation, and he saw people in darkness, drudging through brokenness. He saw the pain of symptoms and sickness, disaster and affliction, of separated families, of failed relationships, the shame from promiscuity and regrets. He saw all of the things that he didn't set into motion, but were the results of the works of the enemy. And with this, he implemented the plan. And he spoke into the darkness once again, and he said, let there be light. And he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to leave the brilliance of heaven, to enter our wounded world. Just think about the pain of that. Think about when you go on a vacation and you spend days, maybe even weeks, in a place that's like a paradise to you of hopefully few worries and a place of peace. And if you're anything like me, when you come back from a place like that, the first few days can be kind of discouraging and even downright depressing as you're forced to face the reality of your imperfect world. Well, Jesus lived in a perfect paradise, a place of ultimate beauty and comfort and peace. To leave such a place, to spend decades somewhere far, far less must have been its own kind of pain. But the Bible says that he did it even leaving behind his divine privileges. To be born as a human being with all of its limitations in the lowliest of places, all in order to restore and redeem a people that had no room for him. And he didn't even do it with any kind of promise of acceptance or fame or fortune. No, Jesus sacrificed everything all the while knowing that he would be rejected, despised, hated, thought crazy, and later face the cruelest form of execution known in history. Yes, the Christmas story marks the grand entrance of he who came to destroy the works of the enemy by becoming our final sacrificial lamb to take away the sins of the world in order to destroy the consequence of sin, separation from the Father. From cradle to cross, everything Jesus did fulfilled his mission of bringing us back into intimacy with God. So that now the Father is forevermore, Emmanuel, God with you, God with me, God with us.